Hey everyone and welcome to episode 21 of the Audience Please podcast with me, your host, Adam. So in this episode, I caught up with Sim, better known for his time in 80s Matchbox Beeline Disaster, uh, a band that's very, very close to my heart and who had a very fierce live show back in the day. So we did talk a bit around his time uh, joining 80s Matchbox Beeline Disaster back in Brighton and very much being in the minority as a Sikh in the UK scene. And actually how this has influenced his brand new project, Primitive Ignorant, um, whose new album is going to be out next month in October. So we do cover the issues and topics that he covers in that album and how it's very, very personal to him. As ever, we talked around his top gigs played and been to as a fan. And as you can imagine, there were some great examples from him. So anyway, hope you enjoy um, and everyone stay safe and I will see you next time. Oi. Great to have you on, man. Um, I know. I'm, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, and I know a lot of people will probably better know you for your time in '80s Matchbox Beeline Disaster and maybe even Piano Wire, which you um, where you started with yeah. Andy Huxley, who's obviously um, also in '80s Matchbox. But um, I really wanted to talk around Primitive Ignorant, um, your yeah. sort of semi-new semi project. I think you started it last year, didn't you? And just sort of. How that all how that how that all came about, and what what were your main drivers and main inspirations for starting this new project? Um, well, you know, I I I, I'm, I don't really consider myself to be a musician, you know, in the generic kind of sense. Really, um, I just uh, you know, I'm probably you know, I, I really like punk music, you know, not necessarily. Um, yeah. I mean, I love the songs. Like I'm into, like you know, the Ramones, the Clash, the Buzzcocks, all that kind of stuff. But, but I think you know what punk symbolises and what it embodies: the spirit of kind of, you know, change, doing the unexpected, you know, being fresh, being new, you know, doing, you know, yeah, doing the thing that people least expect you to do is kind of important and kind of progression and evolution. And um, I just wanted to do something that people weren't expecting me to do, you know. So I, yeah. I came up with Primitive Ignorant and it's, uh, you know, it's basically me, you know, I've done the writing, uh, but I've got uh, other singers in, because as I said, I'm not really a musician. I definitely can't sing, you know, I can shout, you know, <laughs> I've got something sort of guttural and weird and kind of messed up about, you know, the way I do things and kind of probably a bit, you know, uh, nonsensical. But so I've made a record with, um, yeah. which has a very specific a story to it and I really wanted to tell a story and I really wanted it to be about you know um, my life and you know my neuroses around cultural affiliation you know uh, the history about where I'm from um, you know my search for identity through um, a British right-wing society you know uh, and so I, I, 
I, I started this as a, as a fresh thing, you know, last year and put out a couple of tracks and uh, with a girl. And it's just been this thing that where anything goes really. But the record, um, which will be out in October, um, you know, has a very specific story to it. And it's about me, yeah. uh, my life growing up uh, as a, you know, as a Sikh, as a turban-wearing Sikh on a West London estate. You know, it's about, you know, uh, my truth, my, you know, wanting to die as a kid, self-harming, um, you know, my deep shame about where I was from, uh, you know, try, doing anything to try and fit into British society, really. Yeah. So when I was 15, I kind of cut my hair and I got heavily into drinking and doing drugs and, you know, started a band with the other guys from 80s Matchbox, you know, when I was 18 or 19. And, um, you know, and then my life kind of went off from there and I found a real, you know, and that was a great experience, you know. Also, yeah. you know, I sort of felt, and I don't mean this in an egotistical way, I just sort of felt yeah. like in 80s Matchbox, um, you know, such an extreme band, and, 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 and we, we kind of achieved everything that I'd want to achieve with a band in that sense of like, you know, we were the kind of most out there thing going and we, you know, everything about it was so raw and authentic and real and, you know, mm. and it was like, you know, we, we were the closest thing that there was to being to the clash. You know, I think we were more, had more in common with that kind of gang mentality and the Rolling Stones than any of the bands yeah. that we were kind of uh, affiliated with, like the, the cave and the bad seeds and the crap stabs. We, I thought we were more from that kind of lineage. So, and then, you know, with Piano Wire, yeah. it's just, you know, it was a real honor. I mean, Andy Yuxley's, one of the greatest songwriters on the planet, you know, and so we, we <laughs> and, you know, it was just great. I learned so much working with him, you know, we wrote so many songs, you know, and we did a couple of records and yeah, so it was just about, uh, you know, what, you know, that, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to kind of be free uh, and do something so that people didn't expect. And so that the record is, you know, has that kind of backstory and kind of draws quite a lot on um, colonialism in India, which, um, you know, it's not about a thing of like a, a situation of kind of drawing on the past, dwelling on the past and, and kind of going back into history and kind of, you know, talking about suffering for the sake of it. I think it's still really relevant today. So, you know, the, the first single that comes out um, next week, Ballad of Marked in the State, you know, kind of references the Jalian Wallabag massacre in, in 1990 mm. and the uh, Battle of Plassey in 1757, both quite important. Uh, points, you know, the beginning of the end, really, of, of the British con con conquest, you know. So in 1757, it was like there was a massacre and they kind of solidified their rule over India. And then in 1919, yeah. it kind of really, um, you know, uh, kick-started Gandhi's, um, you know, uh, campaign for Indian nationalism. So I just wanted to talk about all this stuff because I think, you know, the hierarchy that was kind of... Um, prevalent then is still kind of prevalent now, you know, and I think it's kind of this, this deep xenophobia that's entrenched into the spirit of Britain is kind of, you know, you can draw it back to there and you can see how it's still relevant today. And I think, you know, when I, when I, when I got clean eight and a half years ago, I, I woke up and I was from this kind of, you know, 17 year kind of um, glorious nightmare, really, you know, there was tremendous <laughs> times, but, you know, genuine, generally it was, it was kind of filled with, with immense suffering, you know. I, I, I mm. um, was faced with who I was, you know, um, and you know you're faced with yourself, and I think that's, that can be a really difficult thing, you know, to really look at yourself and, and be faced with yourself can be really, really challenging, you know, and um, 
and, and, I, and I felt this kind of, it seemed to coincide with this growing um, uh, disdain, you know, towards foreigners, towards immigrants, yeah. towards refugees, this kind of, this growing intensity of feeling towards people of colour in this country. And, and obviously that's just, you know, Brexit kind of encapsulated it, you know. Um, yeah. Was, and, yeah. yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, it, I know obviously you, it's almost like you're, you're in a very unique position. I know we were just saying before the interview that um, there's no one of Indian descent in really alternative rock music um, uh, other, than, other than yourself and maybe a couple of other people out there. So um, to have you talking around this and uh, the, the time that we're in right now, you, you're almost in a unique position. So it's, it's even though it's, uh, it transcends across other topics that are going on at the moment, it's, it's, a, it's come at the right time, I think, your album, is what I would say. Yeah, well, it's, 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 you know, it's strange how, I mean, it was, it was something was going to give, you know, you kind of really felt it with, with Brexit and then obviously the virus happened and then, and then it was like, it's just this, this, this thing was getting worse and worse. And then obviously the murder of George Floyd, you know, yeah. um, everything blew up and, 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 you know, the light was shot on police brutality on, on kind of, you know, that the, um, the marginalisation, the, the, the way that black people, people of colour have been, you know, uh, treated for centuries, you know, people are finally talking about it in quite an open way. And, um, you, you know, I, I uh, it's, it's, it was great doing the band with Andy because, um, you know, he was, he was, he's from Sri Lankan origin as well. And, you know, yeah. was, that was kind of unique in a way. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the music industry, uh, I only know two black people, you know, who work in the music. Yeah. Yeah, so I wanted to go back to um, what you were saying before around, um, I suppose, starting out with 80s Matchbox Beeline disaster and how you how you sort of found that scene. Like You, you were saying that you really struggled as um, a child or a teenager, but how did you sort of stumble into being in 80s Matchbox Beeline disaster and making... Uh, alternative rock music in <laughs> broad, broad uh, quotation marks. Well, you know, um, when I was 15, I, 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 I'd gone and seen uh, some bands that I really liked, and I really liked their haircut, and I decided that I wanted to. <laughs> so I took pictures of them into their hairdressers, and I got my haircut like them. And, and so then I moved to Brighton um, when I was 19, and I met the other guys, and, um, you know, it was... All I ever really wanted, I think, was to feel part of something, you know. Um, mm. I felt so sort of alienated in, in British society. I felt so much kind of, you know, oops, I felt... <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, man. Wow. Oh, God, you broke it. Yeah. <laughs> I just bought these chairs and then... Uh, yeah, um, you know, I felt... I felt uh, I felt totally alienated about, you know, with, with how I sort of, um, my place in British society. And so I, I kind of ended up getting into rock and roll music. I found refuge in it and, and I met the other guys. And I think that feeling of kind of, you know, being part of a gang um, of, of, of kids, you know, I felt like, you know, I felt like I found some kind of peace and I felt like I found like-minded people. 
and we were so kind of besotted with the same things and the same music and I felt you know like life was kind of worth living and those guys mm. really helped me in my life you know um, but um, yeah I mean I, I guess at that point you know I was kind of so off my face I didn't really feel like I, I, I was uh, um, Indian or anything anymore I think I was so desperate yeah. trying not to be you know but that's what I mean. I think when I when I got sobered up, I, you know, that's the thing. You can you can only run so far, you know. And I, and I realised who I was. And I think it's really important to to feel uh, pride in who you are, you know, and, and to kind of have to come to terms, you know, have peace with your own truths, you know. That's so important yeah. as a human being, you know, whether whoever you are, you know, uh, wherever you come from, whatever your story is, you know, it has to be. You have to try and find some acceptance around that. And I. Um, you know, and I found that, and I found some kind of pride in who I am. And, you know, I, um, yeah, it made me really interested in kind of reading about India and kind of what had gone on there. And, um, you know, it's important for me to do this record as well. I mean, it felt like, you know, I felt like I was going to die so many times in my life. And I'm not trying to sound like a victim at all or anything. It's not about that. You know, it's about... It's about telling the truth and the power is in the shared experience. And I felt like if I hadn't made the record, something part of me would have died really. And I, um, you know, and I, uh, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 yeah. I mean, um, everything you're talking about like, around the, the record and um, sort of telling your story and like you're saying, telling some, Telling some home truths and um, yeah, I, I suppose my, my next follow-up question to that would be: What can we expect from the Primitive Ignorant album? Um, other than that personal story, on the musical side, what were the sort of drivers behind the sound and um, the musical inspirations? Because obviously, from what we've heard so far, and obviously I've been lucky enough to hear hear the new single, it's a, obviously a massive departure from from anything you've done before, really. Yeah, I've got uh, a poem by Oscar Wilde that runs through oh, wow. the record um, called The Ballad of Reading Jail, uh, which is, I've taken excerpts of it, and uh, the first excerpt is read out by my uh, nephew uh, and uh, a friend of mine's son. The middle excerpt is read out by uh, Joe Talbot from Idols, and um, the final excerpt is read out by Mick Jones from The Clash. Um, wow. So I've got, uh, yeah, so that kind of tells the story in a way. So there's like a narrative uh, running through it, which is about the bit I picked of, out of the poem is about two outer class men, the world that thrust us from its heart. And it's about, you know, um, the two characters that I kind of uh, had to face in my life. You know, the first one was, was the kid who was totally lost, who was kind of self-harming self and felt so much shame and kind of ran into addiction. And then, you know, the... Um, and the other, the other person is the person who's in addiction. It was out, you know, I tried to fit in, I couldn't do it, you know. And, and you know, <laughs> so basically, it's like I'm on my third life, really. And the third life is, is, is just who you are, it's the honesty with who you are, you know, and the acceptance of the truth of what, what you've done, who you are. You have to face yourself, you know. Mm. So it was really nice to have those, those people, well, complete honor to have those people involved. Yeah. You know, um, the Clash, uh, uh, you know, my favourite band, um, you know, I really like Idols, uh, you know, what they do, you know, and, and what yeah, they do, exactly. uh, I think is phenomenal. Um, you know, uh, I like that Clash record, Sandinista, 
which is probably not their most popular record, but what they did is they, they kind of went in and out of, of genres and it wasn't a punk record. It wasn't like two chord, rah, you know, it was like, <laughs> no, it was, uh, you know, there's kind of jazz and pop and disco and reggae and funk and, um, you know, all that sort of stuff kind of wrapped into, you know, it's like a massive record, isn't it? And I wanted to do something yeah, that was unexpected and punk in that kind of ethic. So it's yeah, it's cool to hear that you uh, you've got Joe on there because I know uh, I, I said it as an offhand joke last night, uh, saying that uh, maybe you'll end up supporting idols. But <laughs> I think, yeah, it's really cool to hear that Joe, Joe will be on there. Well, it's like Mick and Joe, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. The thing, yeah. So do that. Home. so yeah that's really cool and um, yeah all the other singers who were on there I mean it was an absolute honour to work with all of them as well you know uh, who came in and sang on the record um, nice. so I'm um, really excited to have it out and uh, and kind of yeah it's just uh, tell, tell the story because I think you know it's not about being a victim you know it's not about glamorising kind of gang culture, it's not about kind of, you know, trying to sort of, yeah, perpetuate this idea of being a victim, it's about trying to share a story, um, you know, that it might empower somebody to share their story, and I think it's kind of, you know, the way that we can kind of transcend all this sort of dark stuff and kind of, you know, project the human spirit into the upper reaches of reality is to kind of share the truth, you know, and I think the truth starts with kind of trying to work out, well, why, why is Britain so utterly xenophobic you know what is the paranoia why 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 when kind of you know 20 people turn up on a boat is there this kind of massive yeah. you know wave of hysteria you know why is there this like inability to try and help people you know where why does the word immigrant even used to me it's a derogatory word you know it's completely inhumane and obviously you know you look back at the past and and how um britain went and kind of invaded loads of countries and even now you know going into iraq into syria into kuwait you know it's like it's like um you know all the rape the murder the decimation the kind of you know completely sort of uh, destroying the country's ability to progress naturally you know it's um it's uh you know i think somehow we need to try and kind of change this yeah. This attitude that's entrenched into the country, it's so deeply woven into every single kind of pore of, of the country's kind of sort of skin anatomy, you know, it's, um, it's really dark and it's only intensifying. I, I don't know, I've always believed in music as a, as a way of kind of, you know, manifesting change, bringing people together um, and kind of... You know, yeah. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I was just going to say that is, from the sounds of your personal story and sort of the wider story is, music music can be that music can be that saviour almost. I know like times in my life as well where uh, I've struggled. Where I ran away from home when I was nineteen, and music was the the thing that saved me essentially. Because um, it was funny when <laughs> when I ran away, the one thing I still did is I still went to gigs. Like um, yeah. that was that was the one central point. So yeah, it does does sort of transcend um, all the struggles that we all see. And yeah, like you say, it's 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 very very refreshing to hear you say that um, that you're basically telling not only your personal story, but it's almost you're telling everybody else's story around immigration and 
everything else that's going on right now. I mean, this, like, like you just said, I, I, I did want to bring it up earlier, but you, you, you already said it um, this week with all the furor around migrants, migrants on boats again. And it, it's like, why, why are we having this conversation? We, we should, our, our borders should be open to them and we should be welcoming them. Um, we shouldn't be on a, on a BBC news boat pointing at them in the channel. Um, yeah, so it's a sort of hyper hysteria, basically, kind yeah. of stemming from uh, systemic racism and, and, and yeah. xenophobia and, and fear of people who are who are British. You know? Um, you know, and I think it's that thing, isn't it? You know, it's you can find refuge in music, kind of. You can find honesty and truth and vulnerability, and I think you know so. So it's really important to me as well to try and dispel some of the stereotype around Asian culture, you know. So that's why I think it was important for me to come out with a record that was talking very much, very specifically about where I'm from, you know, um, because there's a lot of stereotype and that's kind of, you know, stems from, that comes from the media, from you know, ignorance that comes from, you know. Um, and I, I uh, so I wanted to do that, you know, and I wanted to... Um, do something that I felt like was going to make a change. I, 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 I don't think, you know, it's possible anymore. Or, you know, that, that way that the bands were kind of, it was all about um, the lifestyle, you know, yeah. and the kind of, you know, the, the, the bands that was kind of, it was all centered around lifestyle and misogyny and kind of, you know, decadence and nihilism and just sort of mindless, um, my yeah, like, like the hair, hair rock from the 90s kind of thing. Yeah. You know, and just being in a band was this kind of, you know, was this kind of quite sort of cartoon-style kind of lifestyle, you know, and I, I don't think, which is really great, which is a really great change that's been made, and I think idols have really kind of um, uh, helped bring this about, this change, is that you, it's, it's much more important to talk about the truth. It's much more important for... A, uh, to be vulnerable, it's much more important, you know, for for music to be kind of all encompassing. You know, you can't, you know, it's, you, you, can't, you can't just kind of, you know, you got to try and say something that you feel that's going to make a change. It's going to, yeah. you know, it's going to help somebody, you know, because that that's really why I made the record is to try and be helpful, you know, try and steal yeah. kind of a voice yeah. to else. You know, uh, I'm not. Yeah. I'm, at the same time, I, I know I'm not that important, you know. I'm just a guy on the planet, trying to kind of, you know, trying to make the best of it, trying to kind of stumble around in my own ignorance. You know, I don't really have much, you know, much going on. But, but it's just, it's, it's. Uh, I think to express uh, oneself uh, humbly and with some kind of humility is 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 is, is much, is much um, more important these days than some kind of, you know. Um, aggravated bravado that's kind of stemmed in nothing and nonsense, you know. Uh, so I think idols have really helped do that, you know, uh, which is really Yeah, yeah I, I definitely agree with that. I'm, I'm seeing, I don't know if you were there, but um, when we went, a few of us went to go and see uh, idols at Ali Pali um, and having... Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, that, that whole thing of unifying, and I know they literally say this in their lyrics, but like seeing a room of 10,000 people um, after their journey of what sort of the last five, six years, their rapid rise, 
it's really, again, it was really refreshing to see a room of 10,000 people sing every word to every song, pretty much. Um, and just be in that crowd. And again, we keep talking about music unifying people, but it's, it's true. Like that's, that's obviously the, the greatest example at the moment. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Long live, long live honest records is what I would say that tell a story. Yeah. You know, and it's important to talk about things, you know, I mean, otherwise all we get is kind of, you know, so there's been a, a rise in kind of, you know, um, gang killings, you know, say over the last two or three years, you know, and I've talked about stuff like that in the record and it's not, it's not anyway glamorizing that thing, but no, no, no politician and no one with any authority ever tries to understand why this is going on. It's just like, oh yeah, put more police on the streets, but they don't understand, you know, that all this comes from marginalization of people of color, you know, that it is, it's, it's, it results from systemic racism, disadvantaged people, you know, they don't try and understand what's actually really going on. And I think the more that people can talk about it and try and raise a conversation about it, you know, it might change a bit. Yeah, for might, sure. You know, and I think, you know, it has to start with education in schools. You know, I don't understand why, why this is missed, you know, when, 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 you, when you're educating five, six people who are really young, you know, I don't understand why these truths aren't talked about, you know. I mean, even in India, really, there's a, there's a, there, I don't know what it is, some kind of warped denial about what's really gone on, but you go over there and they, they, they often believe that, you know, the British rule brought about more good than it did bad, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah, because it's, 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 it's kind of built through fear and through uh, a mistelling of the truth and through, um, yeah, like denial, isn't it? And afraid of, afraid of, what might happen, you know? Um, yeah. But I think, yeah. you know, as a generation, we have, you know, uh, uh, an absolute duty to kind of do this kind of stuff, which is mean, which is why, you know, having the platform as a musician or as an artist and not using it, it's kind of, you know, I think it's kind of the mold now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, def definitely. And just to wrap this uh, bit of the interview up, but um, yeah, I, I think to, summarize that when um with the black lives matter movement at the moment and it was really great to see um almost everyone not everyone but almost everyone uh rally round and i know from what i've seen and um i know that like, i've been raising money for black minds matter um which is the um the charity that looks after the black communities with um mental health issues um and yeah, it's, it was really refreshing to see people are putting aside, even small DIY bands, putting aside profit of a T-shirt and putting it towards charities right now. So, uh, again, it's it's one of those things that we shouldn't forget. It shouldn't be like a, a, a two-month thing, a three-month thing. We should keep doing it as, as our community Absolutely. and, like you say, keep, keep, keep talking about it. Um, I cool. think, you know, just to finish, you know, I think... Musicians should be, you know, should be really, really proud actually, because we we really stand unified on that. And and, and every every musician I know has been very vocal about wanting to make a change and instigate some kind of, yeah, you know, transformation around this, which I think is really, really great. I think it's been the most outspoken sector of society really around this whole issue. You know? so that's really great. Yeah, definitely, man. Well, thank you for talking around. Um, uh, everything you've just spoken about that's, that's absolutely brilliant um, so we'll dive into 
um, the the sort of fun bit of the podcast. And we'll just talk around some of the top gigs you've played and top gigs you've been to. And I bet you've got a few from from the years. So I'm, I'm really intrigued to hear what what you choose. So uh, yeah, take me through some of the top gigs you've been, uh, played um, either in AEs or uh, Primitive Ignorant or um, Piano Wire. But what are your what are your top ones? Uh, <laughs> Matchbox, I mean, we did so many shows, we seem to be on tour for about 10 years. I, <laughs> I, um, I guess, you know, supporting Iggy Pop at Brixton Academy was pretty amazing. Um, we did this tour with System of a Down around Europe uh, <laughs> for about four or five weeks. <laughs> It was, it was a lot of fun uh, and I think any one of those shows was, was pretty amazing just simply because you know they they were really cool and they you know they were playing huge venues it was like arenas around Europe so it was like yeah. arenas about 20,000 a night oh wow cool so we were going on you know to do like 20 minute set or whatever 25 minutes and uh, these really big stages and and it was like the lights would sort of go down and for some reason, the crowd would think, you know, System of a Down would like coming up. So, like, you know, everyone's like really getting really, really excited. And then we'd walk on and there'd just be this kind of, you know, um, this sort of initial look of like disappointment that kind of progressed. <laughs> this feeling of like disgust. And people would just be chucking stuff at us for like 20 minutes, booing, whistling all the way through the gigs. And it was wow. just an incredible feeling to be offending that many people all at one go, you know, that 20,000 people just <laughs> disappeared, you know, was, 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 was really, really great. And that was pretty much every night at all, apart from one gig where um, I think it was the penultimate night and we were playing this one song, I think it was Presidential Wave, and there's, like, there's a little sort of breakdown bit in towards the end. And they all started, like, cheering, going, yeah, you know, we were like, well, what's going on? And like... The bass player from System of the Dam like walked on with some tequila shots just to say thank you to us for like playing with them, and they were just really happy that one of System of the Dam like walked on. You know, so. but yeah, it was just great, great to be um, to piss so many people off. Yeah, so that, that <laughs> anyone shows was, was great, and um, I suppose top shows. I mean, I'm sure I'm missing something here, but I mean, the Glastonbury gigs we did were were. Um, were really great. I mean, there's something about Glastonbury, isn't there? And yeah. What stage? Uh, what stage do you play on? So we did the other stage a couple of times, and we did. Oh um, wow. We did um, uh, the Lost Lost Vegas. Yeah. Ten uh, once. Um, yeah, there's just something about Glastonbury, you know. Uh, that's yeah. Quite- Mesmerized. I'd never been, you see, the first time we did it. And I think yeah. we came in from Denmark or something, and I just woke up and it was really hot. <laughs> I was there and, you know, met up with friends, and, you know, it was really, really great. Um, and it was, yeah, we were quite, we had a good slot as well, you know. Uh, so, either of those, or um, we did this. I think- Sorry. I think, I think personally for me, um, just thinking about times I saw you in '80s Matchbox. How was the um, Queens of the Stone Age tour that you did? There? Oh yeah, 2007, I think. 2007. Yeah. 2008. Oh well, yeah. That that was amazing as well. I mean, that was just yeah. 
Like, uh, as far as a sort of a gig, that was like a full on, you know. Did you go to any of those ones? Yeah, well, I was massively, massively, massively into Queens at the time. I was actually on the Queens of Stone Age fan forum. So I knew quite a, a lot of like sort of the more geekier fans and this uh, still, well, that's how me and my um, uh, girlfriend met actually. But um, we went to Brighton, Bristol, London, Edinburgh. Brighton was the first one, wasn't it? Yeah, so Brighton was the first night at the Dome and we managed to, me and a couple of mates managed to get backstage as well. I've got the, I've still got the backstage pass upstairs. Like oh, we got yeah. handed a backstage pass. So you were, you were probably in close proximity to me at the time. Well, yeah. Did we talk? Uh, I have no idea. I remember sitting next to Joey Castillo for a bit on, on, the, on this little sofa. Um, uh, but yeah, that was... For me personally, obviously, it was really great to see you guys support them as well. Um, but yeah, that tour was that tour was insane. It was. It was really good. It was really, really, really good. I mean, they're such a good band. And, uh, they were like fire every night. And yeah, we we, we were uh, just really honoured to be playing all those gigs. You know? But it was a good. It was just us and them. You know. It was yeah. Like, us from the side of the stage every night. You know. And, uh, yeah, that, that was really good. Um, I didn't think that one, actually. Um, and then I suppose just the system of a downward, just offending that many people seemed to kind of... <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you went to a few of them then? Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I've got quite a good memory for these things. It was like December 2007. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, you're right, because I remember it being pretty cold. And like the, the actually the one distinct memory is, I probably did... Uh, talk to you because I remember the Bristol show and we I was, me and Laura were talking about this the other day so the Bristol Academy has um, a pub opposite uh, it's now called like the Hatchet I think um, and I remember being in the garden like well I say garden smoking area patio area having a smoke and I'm in smoking bag and, yeah, and you guys were in there before, at least some of you were, because I remember going up to Guy and being like, oh, I really like your band kind of thing. And uh, uh, I think you guys were drinking quite a bit at the time. It was just like, you, they were just like, you were just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, cool, see you later kind of thing. Um, and I remember off, off, after that gig as well, um, like Queen, because there was no like back entrance, I don't think. So like the tour, Queen's tour bus was like out the front. So it like came out of the gig and it was just like bumped into Troy from Queens, bumped into Joey again. It was like really, really bizarre night that was. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was really great. It was really, really cool actually. Well, we kind of, you know, had sort of hooked up with those guys because Chris Gloss did our second record. So when we were oh, on cool. the you know, yeah. they came down to the studio and stuff. Um, Nick Oliveri did it and Josh Hartman. Dave um, Grohl was like in the studio next door and stuff. So wow, there was, was that whole kind of LA rock scene going on at the time, you know. So yeah, Julio Ramirez was like coming down to the studio, and you know, it, was, um, it was pretty cool. And then we went out to the desert to finish it off, you know, which is their headquarters. Yeah. So there's like Rancho de la Luna, and then there's like, which is like one hut, and where they Queens do their desert sessions, and then yeah. there's like another little hut. Where this guy called Hutch, who's the Queen's sound guy, yeah, Dave Catching, who was like a sort of a guitarist. Do you know Dave Catching? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Guitarist who plays with like 
in various kind of uh, I think yeah, not Eagles of Death Metal at the moment. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think he's left Eagles now, but yeah, he's done Eagles and various other projects with like Goss and stuff. Like he's, I think he was in like Masters of Reality at some point. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Kinds of bands, yeah, yeah. They all kind of playing on each other's stuff. <laughs> yeah. Cool, actually, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was the, so is that, oh yeah, and the third gig probably like oh, yeah. any one of those, um, we did that. Our first tour we did was probably with, I was, was, was definitely with Akara Colt and the Parkinson's. Oh, wow. Uh, yes. In 2002. And so Morning is Broken had just come out on like uh, seven inch. Uh, we were relatively unknown. We were first on. And, uh, but it was just really cool because all three bands were like, you know, young and excited to be on tour. And it was a bit like, you know, the Clash, the Damned, and like, you know, <laughs> all sort of going on tour together, you know. Um, yeah, so that and all the shows because it was different in those days, you know. Like all the shows were sold out, you know, in advance, yeah, yeah. you know, off just a little bit of press, you know, and a little bit of kind of word of mouth thing, you know. Because I think people were just the, the gig culture in this country was just was just more of a thing then, wasn't it? Now you have to be told yeah, yeah. about five thousand different people that it's like the coolest thing going, and then you might check it out on YouTube, you know. <laughs> what is it to Spotify? Or, or, yeah, or, or all your mates will go interested on Facebook and then about 10 people turn up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to like, you know, it was just, it was just, you know, people were just more drawn to going watching bands back then. And so it was a different, it was a different fire, you know, I think um, around playing shows, going to shows, you know. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, because that's all as as a, as a, as a listener, as, a, as someone who's consuming the music, yeah, or was part of it, you know, you, you only had that, you know, you didn't have all this kind of, this whole- Easy access, easy access to stuff, yeah. yeah. To go and like listen to stuff, you had to like really go go somewhere. And then I think by going somewhere and making, you felt part of it, you know, you felt, you know, it wasn't so kind of- um, yeah, yeah, it's like going to record stores as well. It's like, I remember I spent most of my, sort of early years when I certainly got into music more um, sort of when I was at college and stuff spending most of my time on uh, in Fratton because there was uh, the Wedgwood Rooms which great yeah. venue and then literally opposite um, I don't know if it's still there but there's a place called Reflex Records literally right. opposite yeah, yeah, so you yeah. go, go to college in Haven and then get the train down there go and do some um, well I was buying CDs at the time buy a load of CDs and then maybe go to see a gig or go down the road go to like student pub where they used to have like metal gigs on and stuff but yeah I know, yeah, I know what you mean like those those days of it's like those days of going in HMV and literally starting at A and going through to Z and seeing what CDs you can find kind of thing yeah yeah it was just a totally different thing wasn't it you know you really appreciated what people were putting out whereas it's just it's just it's hard to kind of uh, there's too much to uh, take in these days you know um, yeah like, you know to keep up with the, the time. Yeah. Cool, man. So that's that, some really, really great examples for um, top gigs you played. So what are the, some of the top gigs you've been to as a fan, so sort of on the other side of the barrier for you? Uh, and I've got, uh, I've got an interesting one to actually ask you. Uh, yeah. before, before you start, actually, because um, my girlfriend reminded me of this. We... 
you were at Soul Wax, weren't you, at the... Um, when they played South Bank Centre oh, yeah. a couple of years ago. Because I remember turning around and uh, seeing seeing you, and I was just like, oh, God, that's Sim from 80s Matchbox <laughs> Feline Design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Laura was like, oh, you have to bring up the old uh, Soul Wax gig, because that was insane as well. Well, yeah, like a really close friend of my wife's actually was putting on the events there. And, uh, oh, so wow. I didn't know... Um, I mean, obviously, I knew Soul Wax were, you know, but I wasn't that well acquainted with their stuff. But that gig was just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it was just yeah. beyond anything like beyond my comprehension. In fact, you know, going back to when you asked me earlier about, you know, why was primitive ignorance so different and, and, and what kind of instigated such a departure and, you know, blah, blah, blah. That Soul Wax gig was quite a pivotal moment, actually where I just thought uh, there was something, it seemed to me at the time, and I'm not saying this is, this is yeah, yeah. to everybody, but that there was something slightly limited about doing your traditional bass guitar and drum setup, the vocals yeah, yeah. of what I'd done in Piano Wire and, and, and into Matchbox and that's not anything to take anything away from those bands, absolutely amazing. I just mean, it was like, there was something about, you know, um, what they did that kind of made the possibilities infinite. And I thought, well, actually, you know, you can go and do something. You can just go and do whatever you want, you know. Yeah. And three drummers. I mean, it was Yeah, just have, have, have an Igor and the guy from Turbo Wolf, I've forgotten his name, and um, that other woman who's like drum for Jamie T. And like the three sort of differing styles of drumming as well. Like Igor, we were sat, because I think you were sat, about five or six rows behind us, but we were front row, right in front of Igor, and yeah, just yeah, looking right. up Igor playing drums while Soulwax is playing. It was just like, this is insane. Like, I've never seen anything like that before. Totally, yeah. So that was very inspirational. I'd, I'd actually sort of, that, I'd not thought about that gig for a while, actually, because obviously so much happens. I think it was about three years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, about three, four years ago, yeah. Um, oh, Alkin was there, actually, as well. So he was sitting yeah, because yeah, I remember him from knocking about in Camden, you know, when I was a kid. Yeah, and, uh, I, I saw Errol. I saw, yeah, I saw I saw Errol Alcan uh, do like an eight-hour vinyl-only set over New Year's about eight years ago in Vauxhall, which was insane. Like that guy. It, yeah, again, again, it's not like Errol Alcan stuff is and that sort of music. I'm not 100 percent into, but. There's something about like too many DJs, Errol Alcan, that sort of grabs me when when you see that when you see them live. Um, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was that, and then there was gigs that I've been to. Uh, I mean, there's this really messed up thing that I think when you're doing a band and um, you're in a band um, and you're playing a lot, uh, it really, really kind of destroys your enjoyment of going to gigs because you feel this like you know I'm only speaking for myself really like, this kind of weird energy when you go and watch another band and you're doing a lot of gigs yourself you feel kind of threatened and jealous and kind of uncomfortable 
and just sort of like a bit bored because it's like what you what you environment in all time but ultimately but primarily I think you know you feel a bit threatened and a bit jealous and a bit like so what are these guys up to and you know what have they got that you know <laughs> we haven't got or something you know it's a weird thing I was very upset how um, how, how that had happened uh, to me from doing so many gigs with 80s Matchbox but last few years you know um, you know my manager was quite inspirational really in, in, in and going, look, man, you know, you really need to start listening to some new music because there's so much out there, and I've, I've been, you know, following quite closely, you know, who's up to what these days and going to a lot of gigs. So recently, you know, um, I saw Fat White Family in Bristol. Um, um, that's probably the best gig I've ever seen. I mean, it was just absolutely incredible. I mean, those guys, those guys have got everything, you know, they've just, uh, uh, you know, the performance is kind of, you know, mesmerizing. They're all really charismatic. The songs are really good. And it was kind of at the start of the tour, the Surf's Up tour. And, you know, the singer had kind of shaved his head and had this kind of long mullet and just was just, just sort of so kind of demonic and kind of um, out there. I, I, yeah, I just, you know, I was just like, you know, um, that, that was just blew me away because usually you know I can quite often get bored quite quickly but yeah. I went and saw that band so many times last year like I was just like anywhere there they are I went to Bristol to see them I saw them in London loads of times you know I just was like uh, I even went for my birthday to see the Strokes in um, Victoria's Park but specifically just to see them to see <laughs> do you know what I mean that was like well, that was the only reason I went you know so yeah. So then, um, and then I suppose, you know, what was, what was quite life-changing for me was, you know, seeing a band called These Animal Men when I was a kid, you know, and that's what, that's what um, propelled me into kind of getting into rock and roll and music. Then with a band called Smash, uh, you know, yeah. I cut my hair, I took pictures of them into their hairdressers, followed them around the country. And then their manager actually ended up managing 80s Matchbox. So it was kind of weird. Continuity, um, and they were, they were from Brighton, so that's why I moved to Brighton. You know, when I was, oh, you know, I was talking about this kind of, and I'm sure a lot of teenagers, most teenagers, have it. This kind of search for identity, this kind of wanting to feel affiliated with something, part of something. You know, hundred percent. Um, so I really felt that with them. I moved to Brighton, and I guess I never would have met the other guys had I not moved to Brighton. Obviously, you know, so. Um, so then and Smash, yeah, and um, I really like uh, all the Fat White Family spin-offs, really, you know, uh, Insecure Men, Warm Dusha. Um, yeah, I need, to, I need to check them out a little bit more. I've never, like, Fat White Family for me are like the, <laughs> one of those treasures that I have, have yet to discover. Um, it's... Uh, I've never never really sat down and actually like de- delved deep enough into them, but like a lot of people I know like talk about Fat White Family and it's like, yeah, I really should <laughs> really should do that at some point. Well, it's one it's one of the you know it's a big shame that there's no live shows because for them you know the, the records are great, particularly the last one, but it all kind of ties in when you see them live. I mean, it's just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. It's like a it's like a rocket basically, you know. Um, 
So yeah, those are probably. Oh yeah, and no, I suppose we saw when we were in LA recording the second '80s Matchbox record. We saw Iggy Pop, uh, supported by the Mars Volta, and some outdoor, wow. outdoor kind of thing. I don't really know what it was. It definitely wasn't a festival. It was like a one-off gig. Yeah. But that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Yeah. That's that's pretty wicked to see you have Miles Volta and uh, Iggy yeah. One day. It's really weird, really, really coincidentally, I've been listening to loads of Mars Volta this week. I, I've been, uh, I've been, yeah, during lockdown, I've been trying to go through like loads of back catalogues. And the other day I was like, oh, I might just listen to a load of Mars Volta today. So uh, had a bit of a, had a bit of a weird sort of mathy dance around the house. Well, yeah, 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 they were, uh, yeah, they, they, they were kind of extraordinary, weren't they? Um, yeah. One of one of a kind for sure. Um, it, hopefully one day they'll get booked for Arc Tangent. That's uh, that's everyone's hopes that they'll they'll yeah. reform one day for that. Because we'll, I never saw out the driving. You know they'd split up um, before I got a chance to see them, and then I never really bothered when they got back together to go and see them. So I think the time to see them was like in two thousand, wasn't it? You know. Yeah, yeah. Again, I, I, did, I didn't see them either back then, but I've seen them three or four times since they reunited. Um, yeah, saw them at like Brixton, Brixton Academy with Death From Above. They played with Death From Above in 1979, actually. That was quite a good gig. Saw them at Roundhouse with Le Butcherettes. That was quite good. But then when I saw them at Tree, no, 2000 Trees, was it a couple of years ago they headlined? Um, they weren't that great. Like they're very, they, they've been very hit and miss from what I've heard from other shows as well since they've reformed. So, yeah. Well, there's nothing, you know. In a way, with a band like that, you know, you've got to see them. Yeah. The energy was kind of maximum volume, you know. Um, but you know, having said that, if I had the opportunity to go and see them, I'd still go and see them, you know. Now. But in terms of shows, that's probably, yeah, that's, those are probably my favourite ones. Ooh, uh, frozen. Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. Awesome. Well, those, yeah, those are some great examples, man. Sorry, you just froze a little bit there, but oh, I've got sorry. that back now. Um, that's all right. Thanks, man, for coming on, though. Um, really, no, it was really great chatting. Um, like I said, really, really, really great to hear the sort of inspiration behind Primitive Ignorant and hear all those stories of tours and gigs that you've been to and um, played. Um, so yeah, just wanted to, yeah, um, obviously you've got the new album uh, coming out. When's it coming out and where can people pre-order it? Uh, it will be uh, out in uh, late October. Um, the pre-order uh, link should be up by the time this comes out. So... Um, <laughs> I guess, uh, you know, the first single is next week. Um, there'll be an announcement on the 28th of August. Uh, nice. so by the time you all see this, I guess there'll be a, there'll be a link up. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll sling a link, uh, in yeah. the, um, in the old posts for that. Oh, thank you so much, man. Yeah. That's right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, Go and cool down now, and I'm going to go and have a cold shower, I think, because I'm... Yeah, me too. Me too. And, uh, yeah, I'll talk to you soon, bud. Okay, cool. Take care, Adam. See ya. All right, have a good one. Bye.